Thomas McElroy revealed that when Terry auditioned for the group, she didn't initially strike them as a star. In fact, he remarked that she looked more like someone's secretary. Little did they know, Terry was a powerhouse waiting to be unleashed. This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to Part of Us, an Invoke fan cast. Remember that you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Invoke Craze. And on Twitter, you can find us at Part of Us Fancast. And as always, we love hearing from our listeners. So get in touch and let us know what's on your mind. Send us an email or record a voice message and send it to partofusevf at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying Part of Us, please consider leaving us an Apple podcast rating and review. All right, guys, we're going to get into our segment of what's trending. And firstly, in response to our final thought question in episode five, the question was, do you think there is a certain age that Invoke should retire? One of our loyal listeners, Carolyn Taylor, uh, posted a comment on YouTube, and she says, Invoke and any performing artist should sing and perform as long as they can sing and perform well. There's no set age. I'd still go see them if they were sitting on stools or chairs singing, period, with the keys to all their songs half an octave lower. Once that energy exchange between them and the audience was still there. I agree. Go. Uh, thank you for your, your comment, Carolyn Taylor. Thank you so much. I do too. Thank you, Carolyn. Yeah, if the, if the ladies still look good, they still got a song on their heart, you know. Well, what if they look bad? And it, then what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, then we then we had to go back to the drawing board. Because <laughs> <laughs> on one hand, you have like the people who kind of aged into themselves, but they kind of, I feel like they always could have done that. So someone like Tony Bennett and Johnny Mathis, like I've seen Johnny Mathis. I haven't seen Tony Bennett, but their music kind of, Lee, you know, kind of leans into, you know, being classic and not having to move around the stage and wearing a suit, you know. But when you have songs like Free Your Mind and Never Gonna Get It, like in your 70s, you know, because eventually, eventually, you know, like you can hold up for so long, but eventually, you know, it's gravity is going to get you somehow, some way. So, how do you start transitioning into sitting on stools? Like, are, are you know, are you gonna make music that maybe can transition you into that, or like, you know? So that's when I, what I was thinking when I asked the question. Like, I don't think there's a set age, but um, it'll be interesting to see how if you're like an act that likes to dance around and wear you know tight clothes. Like, how do you? Become do that in your seventies because even Tina Turner like she doesn't perform anymore. She's the only one, right. only one I can think who was like in her sixties still kind of you know bouncing around the stage. But then like in her seventies she stopped. So that's just my thought. What about like Cher? I think so, but Cher, Cher is like just the one who walks around the stage. Like I, does, I, I don't know. Like I can't say I've seen a Cher show. I just know that like she, it's Cher was always like I. We talked about vibes. She was a vibe. She had the long black hair. She wore the crazy outfits. And I think, you know, she's not, I mean, she has a very unique voice, but from the clips I have seen, like she lip syncs so she can stand at a stage and have like this spectacle going on behind her. But you know, people are always going to be harder on, you know, soul singers. I'll put it like that. So will people, will Invoke be afforded the same kind of, you know, leniency that Cher is? I wouldn't be opposed to in vogue 
kind of leaning into, you know, their their season status and maybe even like leaning into like a different genre of music that, you know, would accommodate not having to be like, you know, these uh, effervescent energetic performers and doing all this high energy stuff. Like, you know, if you if you want to just do some, some flat foot singing, maybe do some jazz, some blues, you know what I mean? Like... You, you know, I mean, because well, we're going to discuss it in the in the in the today's show. But like, uh, Terry Terry loves Natalie Cole, and you know, um, Cindy has her Broadway background, theater background, and obviously, Rona can do a lot of different genres. You know, so I mean, maybe lean, maybe lean into some other stuff. Like, I agree. I like, I like that. There there can there can be a pivot, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that they can't perform because you know them bones is getting a little squeaky (laughs) yeah this is so random but before we get into today's episode did y'all have y'all have we talked about how there's a song that's actively on the hot 100 right now that references in vogue like lyrically the drake song the drake song did y'all talk did we talk about that yet we've never talked about that I was listening to I was listening on I was I was listening to the radio, uh, which is rare, <laughs> um, and heard the song. It's um it's called "Spin About You" with uh, Drake and Twenty One Savage, and it's like it peaked at like number five on the Hot 100. I just looked it up, but um, oh wow, there are lyrics in there. Let me read them. They I think it's a verse that starts by saying. And I know what I've been saying about being in Vogue, but just like that R&B group from the 90s, girl, one call and I'll get you in Vogue. And I thought that was cute. I was like, oh, we love a reference. So, <laughs> we do oh, love a reference. Oh, Drake. He's such a lyrical, lyrical genius, isn't he? <laughs> in regards to making in Vogue references, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get started with this week's episode. So this week's episode is titled Unleashing the Power of Terry Ellis, a look into the life and career of Invoke's most, most faithful lady. We're spotlighting the one and only Terry the Voice Ellis and exploring her incredible journey as a pioneering member of Invoke, as well as her solo career and other ventures. As a member of Invogue, Terry has long been known for her sophisticated and conservative style and powerhouse vocals. She's the only member of the group who's ha- who has remained a constant presence since its inception, and many would argue that she's the best dancer of the bunch. With a career spanning several decades, Terry has cemented her place in R&B's Hall of Fame as one of the game's most talented and dynamic performers. Hey. So get ready to learn more about this Southern girl. A Southern gal, excuse me. First, some interesting facts. Terry has some intriguing connections. For instance, she was romantically involved with fellow musician Eric Benet at one point. In addition, Thomas Howard, who played as a linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals in the NFL, is her cousin. What's more, Terry has a cousin, Lil Flip. You know, they're like related. Sunshine, Lil Flip. Houston. What? I remember, I remember Josh yeah. last time. Yeah, Josh sang it. Josh sang it the last time. So yeah, Lil Flip is our cousin. Remember, I remember uh, Lil Flip had beef with T.I., but anyway, we're not getting into all of that today. Um, Terry's nickname amongst her groupmates is The Nun because of her conservative way of dressing. 
However, despite her more understated fashion choices, she has always commanded attention with her powerful voice. As a member of the greatest girl group ever, Terry helped shape the sound of 90s R&B with her powerful vocals and undeniable stage presence. With hits like Hold On, Free Your Mind, and Don't Let Go, En Vogue dominated the charts and became one of the most beloved groups of the era. But Terry's career didn't stop there. She has also released solo music, including her 1995 Southern Gal album. Along the way, she's faced personal and professional challenges, but emerged stronger and more resilient than ever before. While other members have come and gone, Ellis has been a constant, providing a sense of stability and continuity that has helped to keep the group's legacy alive and has remained a driving force behind Invoke's continued success. Terry continues to perform and record music as a member of En Vogue and periodically also as a solo artist. See Angry Black Woman, which she dropped, I guess that was last year or the year before. Uh, we'll be deep diving into Terry's life and career, exploring her influences, her accomplishments, and her lasting impact on the music industry. Join us as we celebrate the life and legacy of this incredible artist. Yay, Terry! Okay, uh, what do you think sets Terry apart from other vocalists of her time, and what do you think makes her contributions to the group so unique? I think we kind of discussed this last time. And my argument was it was her power and where her voice sits. So out of the original lineup, I don't think anyone has the lower chest belt. She's the only one. And when I say that, the example I always use is like Whitney Houston. So Whitney Houston, you think of I have nothing or I will always love you. The belting, it's not... I mean, they're high notes, but the way they're sitting, it's not shrill. Where, you know, where you think of like Patti LaBelle and she's like all the way in the stratosphere, like Whitney's belts are very grounded and very powerful and very controlled. And I think Terry um, kind of is in that vein where, you know, Don, you might compare her to Shaka Khan and Cindy. She, Minnie Ripperton, like Terry would be more so the Gladys Knight, the Whitney Houston, the one with like kind of the lower, kind of more powerful belting. Um... Then she has the widest range of all of the members, I believe. Like, um, she just has an incredible voice. And I think as far as groups, you know, I definitely at that time, like who else in a, in a female group out of, you know, Expose and Wilson Phillips and the Good Girls and Sweet, Sweet Sensation Seduction, like who had a big voice like Terry's in a group? I don't think anyone did at that time. Well, in general, like other vocalists from her time, um, I mean, to me, she just kind of just has like that gospel voice that most soul singers or whatever have from back in that era. Um, she was always my least favorite member, my least favorite voice. So I might be the last one. Like, Here we go. <laughs> I might not be the best person to answer that. But, you know, she just, I don't know. Her voice but has you never can be really objective. done a whole lot for me personally. But you can be objective, right? JP. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't like the tone of her voice that much. I just, I've never, it's something about it. It's very round sounding or something. I don't know. It's, it's like, like she can sing. Like, I'm not saying she can't sing. Like, yeah, she's a great singer, but you know, like I can, you know how you can think someone's a great singer, but just not really like them personally. Like Jasmine Sullivan, for example. I don't like Yeah, her. we've talked about that. I, and I, and I, refer- I said that in another episode. <laughs> I specifically said, like, I wouldn't say she can't sing, but her tone. Now, I'm talking about Jasmine Sullivan. Like, it just sounds muffled to me. Like, I do not like the tone of her voice. So, like, 
some of her stuff I could do, but it's like when people hyper up and just like, I just don't like the tone. And I think I told you about a friend I had who said like, she didn't like Mariah Carey's voice and she mentioned tone. I was like, oh wow. Because you know, when I do it, it makes sense to me. When somebody's like, I don't really care for Mariah Carey's voice. I'm like, what? <laughs> but you know, people like what they like. Yeah. So there are a lot of singers that I can, I can look, I can listen to. It's like, oh yeah, you can sing, but I just don't really care to hear your voice. And like Jasmine Sullivan is one of those people. I, Terry is not that bad as, as bad as I think Jasmine Sullivan is. Like that is a whole <laughs> other conversation, but I don't know. There's something about it. I just feel like whenever Terry, when I, when I hear Terry sing, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I can't describe it. Like she can sing. And I, I think she's a great singer, but it's just something about it. I don't want to hear it. I don't know. It's 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 always been that way. It's personal way. stuff. No, it's personal for Jay. No, it's that. not. Even when I was like a little boy, it would be like she was just like my least favorite. And it's not like I thought she couldn't sing, but I think her voice was just more of a gospel thing. Listeners, and I just felt like listeners. I wasn't into the gospel thing. Listeners, please, please, listeners, please pray over the ears of, 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 of JP and Matan who have lost their way. <laughs> Bring them back. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. I feel the same way about Jennifer Hudson. Like, I know she obviously is like an amazing freaking singer, but I'm just, yes, she's not my favorite. Yeah. So I, I understand, I understand what you're saying. Jennifer Hudson does remind me of Terry because they both have that lower belt that Matan was talking about. That every, you know, when they, it's, (laughs) that very, it's very round. It's very like, you know, just round and strong. And sometimes that's not always pleasing. But there are certain moments where I do like Terry's voice. I think when she goes more like in the softer, like wherever you are, I loved that song when it came out. Because maybe because she wasn't like, trying it was just you know whisper it was her head voice i guess so it was more of a you know it was more pleasant for I, me. I feel like i'll explore this opinion more so as we continue to read but i do feel i do no i feel like uh terry I like Terry because she's very versatile. I just don't think that she has been given a lot of opportunities to be versatile. Right. Her her go her go to in the group has always been like, oh, give Terry the powerful part, give her the high note, give her that, give her that uh that climax note in the bridge. Like I feel like she's always been the go to for that power. You know what I mean? Which which I feel like doesn't give her an give her the opportunity to show how versatile she is. Cause even though her album Southern Gal is a flop, you know, you can definitely see, he, you can definitely hear how versatile her voice is because she gives a lot of sultriness, a lot of like different, you know, uh, she, she, uh, taps into a lot of different parts of her voice that she was never able to showcase, at least in my opinion, in the group. But I, I, JB, I get what you're saying. I don't agree with what you're saying because I, because you know, Jasmine Sullivan is my girl. You too. So, but I, well, we, we, we've had an exchange on Twitter about this anyway. So <laughs> keep it on Twitter. Keep it on Twitter. <laughs> All right. 
Well, let's dig into uh, the early life. So Terry was actually born and raised in Houston, Texas, where she was the youngest of four girls. Her love of music was evident from an early age, but it wasn't until her older sister, Vanessa, discovered the singing talent that Terry possessed that she began to take it seriously. Terry started off singing in church and school choirs, and as a teenager, she performed in nightclubs around the city, honing her skills as a vocalist and a performer. After graduating from high school, Alice attended Prairie View A&M University in Texas, where she sang in the marching band, I believe it was called The Quiet Storm, and continued developing her voice under Dr. Ruby Herbert's tutelage and Professor George Edwards. Oh, I was right. Director of the Marching Storm Band. Marching Storm or Quiet Storm? Anyway, whatever. It was during this time that she really began to refine her skills as a lead vocalist, and she quickly gained a reputation as one of the most talented singers on campus. Period. In 1990, Terry received a degree in marketing from Prairie View A&M University. But even before graduation, she had already started to make a name for herself in the music industry. In the late 1980s, she signed with producer Kashif. One of Ellis's biggest influences is the late Natalie Cole, who she has cited as a major inspiration throughout her career. And like Cole, she has always remained true to herself, for better or for worse, never compromising her artistic vision for the sake of commercial success. With Terry's marketing degree, she had a solid understanding of the business side of the industry. Well, so let's talk about just a bit, like, let's imagine what the Terry Kashif sort of world was looking like. So did y'all think that Terry signing with Kashif before In Vogue might um, have impacted her development as a musician and prepare her for her success with In Vogue? What do y'all think about that sort of possibility? Because Kashif was kind of that dude. Remind me who he was is. that dude. You give good love to me. He did that. I think he produced Ooh. it for Whitney Houston. Yeah. Lala wrote it. Didn't he do love? Changes? He did. I believe that was him. I know he did the uh, "I'm in Love" for Evelyn Champagne King. Yeah. And there ain't no doubt about it. I'm in love. Um. So yeah, he was. I mean, in the '80s and. I don't know, because Terry, like, she graduated in 1990, so she probably, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm thinking she was probably in school for a while, um, you know, probably off and on, because I don't know when she started, but 19, she's born in 1963, and she finished in 1990, so she was about 20 and 83, usually start college when you're, like, about 17, 18, so she was there for a while, and so we don't really know what year uh, she joined Kashif. So if if it was at the height of his success or if he was like kind of on the decline as a producer, because, you know, like um, we've said, like, you know, people have their day in the sun when they're the hot producer and everybody wants to work with you. And then after a while, you know, you just not that dude anymore. But like when she talks about it, she makes it seem negative, like she didn't like the situation. So I don't know if it was a bad deal. What um, did she say about she it? She didn't really. Because I've never heard her talk about she, it before. She said that I believe she, um, like, Kashif saw her when she, at Prairie View, and um, there was a group, but it was based out of New York. And so she really wasn't going to make it, but he wanted her. But it was just like this thing of, you know, having to fly somebody out from Texas. And I know that she's mentioned one other girl. So I don't know if it was supposed to be a duo or a trio, but she mentioned one other girl. And she was like, you know, they were, you know, they were pleasant, but they didn't really click. And we all know who that is. Before In Vogue, I was, 
I had been chosen to be in a girl group. I got a record deal. I was still at Prairie View. This was right before I graduated. And um, Kashif had come to Prairie View Ooh. to do um, a lecture on this new technology called the Synclavier. And <laughs> Patty, you met Patty. Patty came and got me. She was like, you're not going to class today. And I was like, why? What's going on? She was like, Kashif is on campus. He's doing a talk on campus and, and he's going to perform and you have to do. That's when Love Changes was popular with him yeah. and Morgan. And she said, and you, you have to sing that song with him. And I was like, I'm not saying nothing to him. Of course, the introverted me. So she was like, just let me do all the talking because she was a part of the hospitality committee on campus. So anyway, she, she was dealing with him all day long. So she was talking me up and talking me up. And he was like, okay, well, yeah, she can, you know, I, I'd love to have her perform with me. If you say she's that good, then let's do it. So we performed. He loved me and gave me a record deal right on the spot. So he signed me, right? Uh, flew me to New York. And what's ironic is that he wanted to put together, put together a girl group. And it was sort of a, he had the same idea that Tommy and Denny did, ironically although he was looking for three girls. And um, so anyway, he found me. I was the second because he had already had one other girl. So I flew to New York. I met this young lady and something just didn't feel right for me. It, it just didn't feel right. And I will, this is what is really a trip. I came back home. Everything was fine. Everything went well with the audition and Kashif. He was awesome. So I, I came back to Houston and I remember praying to God. I was like, God, get me out of this situation. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I just, and, and it just, we just didn't vibe. I don't know if she felt the same way because it, it seemed okay on the surface, but I didn't feel right. And um, I just, I literally prayed to God to be out of that situation. And I'm gonna say about a week later, I got a phone call from Kashif's uh, assistant. And she said to me, hi, um, I just, I'm calling you. I have some bad news. And I was like, okay, you know, what's going on? And she said, well, because you live out of state, you live in, in Houston, the record label feels like, you know, that's a red flag for them because they'll have to bring you in and put you up and support you. And they don't know how long the whole process is going to take. And Kashif hasn't found the other girl. When I tell you, I started screaming and hollering, happy. This girl thought I had lost my mind. I was, I was like, thank you, God. I was so happy that I was released from that contract. And so that's all she's really said about it. But she, and, and kind of just, you know, um, noted that she didn't really care for the deal and she wanted to get out of it. Now, why exactly that was, she hasn't been specific. And, you know, a lot of interviewers, they don't ask follow-up questions for whatever reason. So I don't know specifically why, but for whatever reason, she didn't like it. And so I probably do think that and somehow impacted her um, development because the second time around, you know, in, in another group, also outside of Texas, there had to be something that she saw in it, you know, that made her want to stay. Um, and, you know, and having that previous experience to compare it to, she saw it as advantageous. So in, in that little way, yes, I would say it definitely had to. Um, and it's very interesting that in both instances, they're producer driven. It's not like she, you know, formed a group with her homegirls and they were looking for a deal. It was that you had this, you know, producer or production team that wanted to create a group. So what really is the difference? 
Because it's so interesting, though. Like, I think from what I gather from a lot of stories that people tell from, like, back in that day, like, back in that era, a lot of people signed multiple deals and just went through a lot of different situations before one just worked out. You know what I mean? Like, Don said that she signed a deal and she was, like, a teenager with um, a gentleman, I guess, a local producer. And she ended up not liking it. So her mom basically got her out of the deal and was like, she was a kid when she signed it. It doesn't really count. So Is I know Don has had a deal. On the like they released a song I believe, on yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Don had a deal before. Terry had a deal before. Cindy's always the one who I really want to talk to because it's like you did all of that, you know, acting. And you did a lot of singing. You sang in Osaka, Japan. You sang on TV shows. Did you ever... I just, it's just baffling to me that, you know, she never recorded anything or we haven't heard of anything that she's recorded in the 80s. It seemed like she would have been with all the freestyle and all the kind of dance music that was out. Like she would, I just don't get yeah. why she didn't pop off. Her voice would have been perfect for that. Right. To the point of no return. But can you name any specific songs or performances by Terry that showcase her inspiration by Natalie Cole? I was just. And we all know the answer is yes. Well, cool. no. I mean, I guess just can't stay away, but she doesn't say. Like, when I think of like people who are inspired by certain singers, you hear like references in their riffs. And I don't really hear Natalie Cole in Terry. Like, not even a little bit. Like, I don't hear vocally. I hear more of a Whitney versus like a Natalie. But I think Natalie was like a lyric soprano. And. So maybe, I mean, it's just a different tone, a different type of voice. But I don't really hear, like, Natalie's isms. Like, Natalie has some very specific isms in her voice with the mixture of the jazz and just the different little tonality things, the different things that she would do in her voice. Uh, I don't hear that in Terry. Well, maybe that goes back to, like, her being in development as an artist with Kashif. Because a lot of his songs are, like, power oh, ballads yes. or, like, you know, they're high energy. <laughs> I even looked at that. He, he did Love Come Down for Champagne King. Um, so, I'm like, oh, well, if, if he was developing her, then she definitely was singing, like, some power songs. Like, she probably was, like, rehearsing a lot of Whitney, a lot of Aretha, you know. I feel like it was like, we're not doing Natalie Cole. We're going to we're gonna do some powerful, yeah. <clears throat> well, when I think of a Natalieism, I just think of how, because, like, and I don't, I don't want anybody coming for me because I love Natalie Cole. But she's another one who is just kind of, like, sometimes I'm, like, is what she's doing right? So there's certain songs where, like, I think there's one called, like, I'm Catching Hell When I'm a- Alone. And it's, oh, like, yeah, kind of, like, she's favorite. going in, but it's, like, it doesn't sound, like, technically to me, it sounds like, you know, like, she, ah, ah, like, she'll... <laughs> that do sound like it. <laughs> like, she was giving you a growl. You can't take Natalie Cole's yeah. growl. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, um, I guess, some some, like, the things that separate her from other artists, like, the kind of mechanics of her voice, Terry doesn't really do. I would say maybe like a June pointer at the end of Jump. That kind of gave me Natalie Cole when she was like, come on and break it on down. Like that's Natalie to me when I think of like what separates Natalie from everyone else. So, um, no, maybe just though kind of the way the belting, I think the, the main time I heard it was when Terry did I've Got Love on My Mind. It was like in a rehearsal. It was Frank and Cindy and Rona and Terry and they were just like in a rehearsal and like Terry, like they posted it after Natalie Cole had passed away, but they it was recorded before, you know, she passed away and they were just like in the studio rehearsing, playing around. And that's, I kind of heard it a little bit then. 
down, break down. kind of see a little influence when it comes to like performance style or like that kind of thing but I also can't really hear Natalie in Terry's voice that's tough well do you guys think Prairie View A&M University significantly impacted Terry's growth as a singer and performer of course whenever you're performing somewhere multiple times and you're like a featured vocalist like that has to make you comfortable with an audience uh, you know, and, you know, learn how to use your voice um, to, it, when learn how to be a performer because you perform in front of huge crowds. And so I definitely think it like it did. You can see the clips of her singing like the Stephanie Mills song and the Nita Baker songs in front of like you have to sing over basically a band. So you ha- kind of have to have a big voice to do that. <laughs> sounds like um you know some other singers in a vogue with smaller voices <laughs> you have to have a big voice to do that and also i think the art of like learning your craft is missing like i wish so many more artists would like go to school and like learn how to properly sing and work with your voice like that's something that is such a lost art Yes, a lot of the a lot of sing a lot of artists nowadays are open mic singers. Like they are used to going to an open mic on a Thursday night and playing with a guitar or a track and singing real soft and like chill. Like, but you don't get like a lot of singers anymore. I actually was playing. Um, I was playing uh, when I went to home this past weekend. I was playing the Chandelas for my family in the car when we were on our way somewhere. And I was like, and it, and because the Shandellas have that like sixties kind of seventies girl group vibe, like my parents are really into it. And we always kind of like, yeah, you don't get singers like this anymore. Or at least this is not what is being marketed to us. Like a lot of these singers nowadays, they, they don't get that. And, and, and right. just back to Terry and just Prairie A&M, like HBCU bands don't play. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're, you're going to perform. I got to say, out of all of the ladies, I feel like what makes her voice the most unique to me is that it sounds, she sounds like she's, if I was to peg a choir singer out of anybody, it would be Terry. Or if I was to peg someone who trained with a marching band as a vocalist, it would be Terry. Like those things, like that kind of rigor and training, I feel like if like shows up in how she sings. And to Matan's point, I believe, like 
when you're singing alongside a marching band, there is a level of like you got your voice has to take take up space and 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 have a weight to it. And so that's probably why she sings as powerfully as she does, because that's what she sort of came mm-hmm. out the gate doing. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not something that everybody can do. So getting into what she did after Prairie View, there was, of course, in Vogue. Picture it. It's 1988. And Terry Ellis, a young woman with big dreams, gets wind of an audition in California for a new girl group that Club Nouveau producers Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy were creating. Now, I don't mean to sound ignorant, but was Club Nouveau like a popular thing? Like, I know they did like a version of Lean On Me, right? But like, Mm -hmm. was that... I heard that on the radio this week. But, I mean, would if I... Were they popular enough to be like... Club Nouveau? Oh, I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, was it was it that? I guess none of us were really there at the time, but I don't know. Like, when I think of the groups from that era, like, if someone had told me that Maurice White from the Earth, Wind, and Fire was putting together a group, you know, I would have shown up. Or if, you know, you know, BBD, what was, like, Michael Bivens or whatever, like, I would have shown up. But Club Nouveau, like, that, that got the girls in line? That got the girls in line. I don't know. I feel like they they had a they had more R and B hits than they did big 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 hits. Like the Lean on Me like record was big. It was a number one, right? But like even after that, like and that was in eighty seven, and we're talking about eighty eight. So I feel like you know there was like a case to be made. It wasn't like nine. It wasn't like a four year gap between their last significant hit. So I think the. And their debut album, their debut album went platinum, and it was like number six on the top, on the on the chart. So it 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 did. They they were their names were circulating. I guess I guess in that regard, their names were circulating in that way. So it's like, oh, Club Nouveau was our, is starting a girl group. It's like, oh, well, let let's go. You know, I, I mean, but I I get what you mean, JP. It's kind of like I just right. I just think it's interesting though that you know they that they were able to get them I guess I mean obviously their name rung enough bells to get you know Terry to come in from Texas but I guess in hindsight I'm thinking like of all the groups that I've heard of from back in the day Club Nouveau would not be the one that would get me out of my seat <laughs> to call to show well, up in yeah. audition <clears throat> I'm just gagging that Lean On Me was number one I had no clue <laughs> yeah I just heard it this week um, like it and it was on the pop station or one of the Dell Contemporary stations so they like KJ well you're from LA so you know KJ LA just like the you know Stevie Wonder owns the station they play R&B so every once in a blue moon you might hear why you treat me so bad but the adult contemporary stations they still play lean on me like I might hear it like once every three months or something but what I wanted to say is like there's all kind of inner workings and so Terry and Cindy had actually met before I think they had a mutual friend I want to say the name was Gary Reeves and I think that Terry or Cindy thought Terry had an in maybe because she was a background singer with Carl Lewis and so you just have to kind of understand that like Back then, if you want to be a singer or you want to be anyone in the entertainment industry and you're a woman and you're black and you don't have any connections, you don't have a famous name, like you're going to kind of jump at anything. Oh, there's this audition. Um, Oh, they have a production deal with, I guess, I don't know what Sylvia Rohn's company would have been that time. Maybe it was Warner. Maybe it was Atlantic. 
I mean, why wouldn't you go? Like, there's just not going to be a bunch of things kind of popping up. And then if you have somebody like telling you, oh, yeah, there's these producers that have this deal. Like, why wouldn't she go? So that's, I think, why, you know, Cindy, who was living in probably Los Angeles at the time, why she went, why Terry would fly out because it was kind of recommended to them. And so Don and Maxine, of course, are local. So if there's a local edition, like, why not go, you know? But that's probably why she was like, well, let me get my Southwest uh, flight anytime, anywhere (laughs) flight and go to the Bay Area because it was recommended to her. Well, it was a pivotal moment in Terry's life when she heard about the audition. She was living in Houston, Texas at the time, and despite having only enough money to cover her rent, she took a leap of faith and used her last bit of change to fly to California for the audition. Terry was filled with both excitement and nervousness as she arrived for the audition, not knowing what to expect. She could feel the tension when she walked into the room as the producers eyed her skeptically. In an episode of the Funky Divas podcast, Thomas McElroy revealed that when he went, that when Terry auditioned for the group, she didn't initially strike them as a star. In fact, he remarked he remarked that she looked more like someone's secretary. That so I don't remember any of the other girls coming, but I remember Terry coming. Yeah, yeah, because that was Terry different. came into the office. She had a little secretary outfit on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she had so looking so conservative. She had her hair pulled back in a little bun. <laughs> Look at say, I just remember like who is this little and, round and we didn't have a face big eyes. We didn't have a look like she's trying to do some administration work. Denny, remember Terry did not want to sing to us. She wanted to go behind the partition, the little office. I saw in front of you. I probably didn't want to. But I saw you in front of you. Whatever it was, <laughs> I was I was about to kick you out the office. And you start singing. And I was like, ooh, damn, ooh. And yeah. I just started looking hella different. You started looking completely. I started looking secretary dress is fitting kind of nice. I didn't even notice all them potatoes and curves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But little did they know, Terry was a powerhouse waiting to be unleashed. <laughs> I bet she wore a, I bet she wore a white blouse and a black skirt. She was ready for Usher Boy number nine. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I just want to know when she made the voice, did they give her her money back so she can go pay her rent in Texas? That's all I want to know. That's a good question because the, the way, like, you hear the story different ways. But anyway, let me let's let's just uh, get into the thing. I'll address that. They may have dismissed her as just someone's secretary, but when she began to sing, everything changed. Her voice was powerful and soulful, and it immediately caught the attention of the producers. Terry was so nervous that she asked to sing behind a partition, but her talent could not be hidden. As she sang, the producers were blown away, realizing that they had something special in front of them. They found themselves at a crossroads. Faced with a tough decision, either include Terry in the group and let go of Dawn or keep Dawn and forego adding Terry to the lineup. It was a pivotal moment that would ultimately shape the future of our favorite group. After much deliberation, Denny had a realization. Let's just make Invoke a quartet. Who said it had to be a trio? And with that, Terry had carved out a place in Invogue where there were where there was none initially, thanks to her incredible talent and unwavering determination. It's amazing to think that such a dynamic performer started off as a timid and unassuming presence, but that only makes her rise to fame all the more inspiring. Denny and Tommy's realization was a turning point for Invo's career. Terry's addition to the group not only gave them a fourth voice to work with, but also added an entirely new dimension to their sound. Her unique voice 
which could range from sultry and soulful to powerful and emotive, well, differently to JP. (laughs) (laughs) But it it added an extra layer of depth and complexity to the group's harmonies. The decisions to add Terry and keep all four original members paid off in spades, as in Vogue quickly became one of the most successful girl groups of all time. With Ellis on board, the group went on to achieve massive success in the 90s, becoming one of the most influential R&B acts of the decade. Terry had a dream different from her bandmates. While they aspired to be solo artists or pursue acting, Terry always had her start I'm sorry, Terry always had her heart set on being part of a girl group. So when she finally landed a spot in En Vogue, it must have been a dream come true for her. It's a charming detail that highlights Terry's passion for being part of a collective and how her vision for En Vogue ultimately contributed to the group's success. En Vogue's first album, Born to Sing, was released in 1990 and featured several hit singles, including Hold On and Lies. Terry lent her powerhouse vocals to countless En Vogue hits over the years, in particular, her lead vocals on songs like Don't Go, Just Can't Stay Away, and Hold On have become synonymous with the group's signature sound. Don't Go is a standout track from En Vogue's debut album, Born to Sing, that features Ellis on lead vocals. Her smooth, sultry voice perfectly captures the song's sense of longing and heartache, making it one of the group's most beloved tracks. Similarly, Just Can't Stay Away showcases Ellis's incredible range of vocal control as she effortlessly navigates the song's soaring melodies and emotional lyrics. Her vocals on this track are a testament to her skill as a singer and her ability to bring depth and emotion to every performance. Of course, no discussion of Terry's impact on Invoke's music would be complete without mentioning the iconic acapella intro to Hold On. Ellis's soaring vocals on this track helped to cement Invoke's status as one of the most talented and innovative vocal groups of all time. Overall, Terry's contributions to In Vogue's music cannot be overstated. Her lead vocals on some of the group's most memorable tracks helped to define the sound of an era and continue to resonate with listeners today. So, how do you think In Vogue's sound would have been different without Terry's addition to the group? Well, it would have been fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, life goes on. It would have been fine. (laughs) You know? I mean, if, if, if Terry wasn't there to do the intro to Hold On, it would have went to... Cindy, you know what I mean. Mm. I, I feel like ha- I feel like having having three part harmony um, while someone is leading is a gr- is a great I what was a great addition and like oh we can do it this way or whatever. But I mean, if the idea was for the group to be a trio, they they would have managed. It would have been the same songs, you know. Um, it just let, the other ladies would have just have more vocals or whatever. Um, but you know it. Terry's talent is undeniable, so it's like, well, we can't just and and so was Dawn's. Like, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to have to choose between both of them. I'm like, let's just keep both of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, no, but what's so interesting though is I think last week was it last week, Montan, when we were saying like who would have done the intro to hold on if Terry wasn't there? Wasn't that? Let me talk about that last week. Mm-hmm. Well, it was two weeks ago. Yeah, and. It's so interesting. Like, I think I kind of forgot that it did come down between Dawn and Terry or whatever. I think Dawn was like, wasn't like Dawn there last minute or something, or she showed up late or something along the lines. I can't, I don't know. I feel like the story. That tracks. Something. Oh. (laughs) The story changes. (laughs) I just got it. I just got it, Josh. (laughs) 
You, JP ain't gonna be the only one over here tossing shit at the wall. Okay, I know. I can't even touche because that's a true shade. That's that was shade. But um, <laughs> but it's it's so interesting though. I guess that it, it came down between the two of them because I I said you know two weeks ago that I thought um, Don would have done the the intro to hold on instead of Terry. I mean, and if, if, if have you heard her there. do the intro to hold on? I haven't heard her in her prime do it. No, I have not. <laughs> no, oh, so you've, I have you've not. heard her. You've heard her after her prime do it, and no, honestly, it I was just not. I actually saw when I saw Dawn in like twenty. When did I see her in Florida? Twenty seventeen or eighteen? She did hold on, but she didn't do the the intro. She just sung "Hold On." So I don't know. I, honestly, I don't. I don't recall in my recollection ever hearing her do it. But again, I've seen it. It's on YouTube. <laughs> you can't compare. You know, twenty-one-year-old Dawn and her in her prime to you know a woman who's you know in vocal decline in her fifties. Like that's not fair. Well, you know, it's easier. It's easier to go into decline when you uh, have been booked. So it's you know <laughs> a lot of rest happening over on Dawn's end these well, days. Well, again, if you're not there using is. your voice, you lose it. So you know, I mean, Mama got to go out there and book. So. I have never in my days seen someone ride so hard for somebody that's got them blocked. I am, I am right? so <laughs> thrown. Listen, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind that she's blocked me. It's, I mean, you know, she just, we haven't had a chance to meet and connect in real life. <laughs> and make up. And, you know, but once we connect, we're going to be good. Really. So when you saw her in 2017, you didn't meet her? You didn't get a chance to meet her? No, that was like gay pride. I was drunk. Like, no, that was not the meet and greet. Only reason I went was because she was there. And it was like, I, I took a random spirit flight to Orlando. Uh, do y'all think Hold On would be as iconic if Terry wasn't on it or added to the group? I, I don't think it would have been as iconic. I think... You needed her voice to do the intro. I don't feel like any of the other members. No, you didn't. If I could please finish my statement, you know. Ooh. I'm asking <laughs> Drag me. <laughs> drag me. Drag me with but let me, me. But let me, let me explain why. And it's because, like, okay, like, I get what JP is saying about hearing Don do it in her vocal decline. But Don's voice had really been declining since she got into the group. Like I said, she had developed polyps during you know whenever they were promoting born to sing it's like well what were you really doing where you should be developing polyps like you really weren't carrying the leads that was is this a fact or or something no, they, they talked about it on planet not planet group because it was still called video salt it was video salt when they were promoting bonky divas um when bonky divas was about to come out and they were telling donnie simpson that she had polyps um you know um i guess and they developed sometime when they but- were touring but she still let Don't Let Go and she still let Give It Something He Can Feel and she still let, you know, she she was fine. She was fine. Okay, yeah, but those are those are specific type of songs whereas to use JP's own terminology with us, with who's loving you, like you have to remember Terrence Trent Arby had just done it and had a hit with it. You have to remember that like it's a, this huge Jackson 5 song where Michael did this incredibly big vocal. So you have to, like that's like a song as Jennifer, Jennifer Holiday would say, it's a winner song. You have to have a certain kind of voice to pull it off. And none of the other women in the group have that type of voice. Like their voices, it would have been... Well, here's the... But here's the thing. If... If Terry was never in the group, 
her you wouldn't have her voice to reference to say oh the song is missing something it would have just been the three well, women singing hold way. on like they like when you, as a as a arranger and a producer like you don't have to you can rearrange and reimagine how something is so maybe they wouldn't have done it as a solo maybe they would have just done it as a trio you know maybe they would have all sung it together versus just having a person lead i mean they you work with what you have in the moment so Exactly. And they didn't have her voice is what is my whole thing of what it was. And even if you listen to interviews with Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy, they were like radio didn't really, you know, we didn't get the response when we didn't have the, the acapella intro lead in, but that acapella acapella lead in is mainly like Terry's voice, basically demolishing the track. Like she has a very big voice and regardless of what, you know, people cannot like big voices. And, and like I said, I, I get it too. I, I didn't say that I didn't get it, but like, I could see why somebody doesn't like Jennifer Holiday's voice. I could see why they would, can't wouldn't like her voice, but still, when she she's doing, I'm, and I'm telling you, ladies, I'm not going, huh, champ? All four ladies are lead vocals, but so not all four like, ladies and, have and strong, powerful voices. Like Max, they they well well uh, they all don't have the same tone as Terry, but they all. Are, can be interchangeable on a lot of their no, songs. No, we're not. And that, sh- and that, and that shows with the current trio. When you see Terry and and Terry and and Cindy and even uh, Rona having to sing Dawn or Maxine's part, but you don't hear anybody even, singing Terry's you, part. Like that's what I'm saying. Because the one she time don't that take we did off. see it. But but Don was in the group when she was at Pride in the audience. According to you, wasn't really feeling her. You were the only one feeling her. You know, she wasn't in the group then. So for all those years where she wasn't in the group, all those years where she, all those years where she wasn't in the I group, don't think like this she was could, the intention of the episode. <laughs> I know it's becoming a battle, isn't it? But let me just say, I I do. I would just say that like their voices, like no, Maxine does not have a powerful voice. Cindy does not have a powerful voice. Don's voice can be powerful when it's in the upper shrill register, but that lower belt, and that's why when people will argue that Whitney Houston is like the greatest singer ever, it's because she didn't have a shrill voice. Or people will like kind of complain about Patti LaBelle's voice, and they'd be like, why does she sing? It's because of the way it comes across. And so to have those lower chest belts and be able to sustain notes, I've never heard any other member sustain a note as long as she has sustained a note you know so I'm saying like none of the other singers have that voice and you I mean and if they do send me a reference like send me uh send me tell me what song magazine holds a note for at least 10 seconds send me a song where how are you gonna say that they're not powerful vocals like Terry when they all sang free your mind in the same key with the same register with the same power they all sang on that song and, but then she can take it up is what I'm saying she can take it like there's she can blend with them but I'm saying like if they have to belt and just if you're just talking about volume if you're talking about sustaining notes like I'm saying send me a song or performance where Maxine sustains a note for like not even 10 seconds 7 seconds <laughs> Send me a song where Don sustains, sustains, and you, champ, you're saying, you know what I mean when I say sustain a note. Just, and not even a belt, just where they sustain a note. <laughs> Hold, holding a note is about your lungs, not your vocals. <laughs> like, what? Right. But I'm saying that's still controlling. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do but it. But we though. just. 
but we just talked about how, you know, her upbringing, her being with Kashif being at Prairie View, like that she had, I feel like she had a leg up. Like she, she is a power singer, you know, whereas you know, they, they all have different backgrounds vocally. So yes, their voices are, are, their voices probably are more sonically. It's like, Oh, let's put her here, but let's put her here. Like that's how all groups work. But what I'm saying is, Although Terry was always given the power parts, it doesn't mean that she was the only person capable of doing those parts. The same way I said, I feel like her voice is versatile and she could do more than just power, but she would never get given an opportunity. If Terry wasn't in a group, then one of the other girls would have to step up to so do the power So give me an example parts. of them you know what singing... Mean? Give me an example of them doing that. Like they've all had, you know, like that's tr- You don't you don't think never going to get it is a power song as as high as Dawn is when she's like maybe next time you give your woman a little respect. Like that's a power that that's a hard note to sing. You know what I mean? I don't even I can't even respond to it because it's just silly. I think all all of them are powerful singers. You can't respond singers. to it because you don't have an argument. Because like if you're some stuff is so ridiculous you don't need to respond to. Like <laughs> think about think about Cindy singing whatever, you know, everything I do is over you bad. Like that's a power That's high. Yes, it is. I mean for I, I think as far as a group if you're talking about solo artists though, you're putting them up against like the people who actually have power like a Shaka Khan Aretha Franklin, now, like you talking about. How is Chuck Khan a powerful singer, but Cindy Don and Maxine are not powerful singers? Like, because what? I'm talking about volume. When, I'm talking about volume. And you, when they and did you the, know when I'm they did the about. girl group tribute, when they did the girl group tribute, uh, homegirl Maxine was singing a Chuck Khan song. But did she belt it, or did she go in her lower note? I don't remember any of the 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 Chuck Khan belts that she's known for. Why, why she's known as a horn? She sang it low. This is slander. I'm suing you. But Maxine this has said herself she's not a soul singer. Here's the thing: you can anyone can sing in a pow- powerful lead, right? But. It's your your tone determines what sound comes out of your mouth. So if you have a lower, rounder tone, it's going to sound different than like a thinner tone. But it's like Patti LaBelle. Like if you look at comments on Patti LaBelle's videos, I love Patti LaBelle. So it's not me, but I'm saying people, because her voice is so high and then she just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing it. Like that's not pleasing to a lot of people. I feel like one, most people prefer lower voices. Like most people prefer male singers and men are just more successful I mean, as records go, even like the heavy metal guys with the high voices, you know, like they might not be as popular as, say, someone like James Hetfield and Metallica. So Ronnie James Dio, he has like this huge range of people rather hear kind of like something lower. Um, and so, but regardless of all of that, regardless of if you feel like they are, I'm just saying her voice is different. I don't know why I was attacked. Well, because at the end of the day, I think that because, yes, Harry sung it the way she sung it, but when you have professional producers and composers, they can they can reimagine how it could sound. So because they had Terry, they were able to arrange it in the way that was most pleasing, you know, to fit Terry. But if you don't have that, you think of, oh, I have an idea. I want to do an acapella. So how can I make this acapella work in this way with what I have? It's not like they're going, they would have said, well, we don't have this. So we have to scrap the whole idea. They would have figured out how to do it, whether they all sing the lead part or whether a different girl does it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I think that's the point that Champ was trying to make and that I was trying to make is that if Terry wasn't there, they would have done something. 
either. Yes, they would have done know, something. Been, I don't feel it would have been as impactful though, because like I said, well, we like, don't know, like we I don't know why. You, but you're trying to add, you're trying to pretend. You guys are pretending like you don't know, like how you talked about how she has a gospel voice. Like when you go into a gospel church, like you want somebody who is going to give you a big vocal performance. That's when the people are going to start falling out and all the stuff. It's not going to be somebody like, oh, amazing grace is going to be. Amen. Like you and you know that, so that's what I'm saying. Like people like a big vocal, and that's why hold on was so big because it was a big vocal and it sounded certain way. Maybe it put people in the mind of Whitney, you know, um, Climax, Miss You. They said like the reason why they were able to even release that single was because Joy Spinderella Irby sounded like Michael Jackson. So I'm, I'm just saying my point is, and I get your point. So, you know, let, let's just move on. But I would just say none of those, none of the other members have that part of Terry's voice that made Hold On popular. So it would have been different. I don't think it would have been as impactful. Well, dang, you just, you just slided your girl. I did, I'm saying their voices are different. Josh, I'm, their voices are your just... part. <laughs> did Josh leave? Is Josh, is Josh here? Oh, no, I'm here. I wasn't jumping in that. Because um, I, too, am playing timekeeper over here. And I'm like, okay, y'all just go run this clock. All right. Um, so, <laughs> In Vogue's music was known for its catchy melodies, soulful harmonies, and empowering lyrics, which often addressed issues of love, relationships, and self-empowerment. The group's music videos were also groundbreaking, featuring innovative choreography and stunning visuals that helped to define the aesthetic of 90s R&B. The group's influence on the music industry was significant, and their success paved the way for other female R&B groups such as TLC and Destiny's Child. The group received numerous awards and nominations throughout their career, including seven Grammy, seven Grammy nominations and four MTV Video Music Awards. How did Terry contribute to the success and longevity of En Vogue, and what did her unique voice and style bring to the group's sound and aesthetic? Well, we just talked about that, so... Yeah, the power. <laughs> she she is that. the power. You know? The powerful boy. Yeah. Matan pleaded that case. She pleaded that case, which which I agree with. She did add all those elements to the group. Yay, champ, give me a hug! <laughs> yeah, but I still, sta- I still stand by my opinion. I know, she did it's add that. She did. Okay, okay. She did. She added that. She did. I still think that that her not being a part wouldn't have impacted the group's success because their sound, their look, you know, their stage presence, their stage presence was it was a a byproduct of Thomas and Denzel. Well, they've you know said I mean? Don has even so, said that Terry was the best dancer. She said because she had the baby making hips, so if she. She did. She she said that. She said it was Terry. Then it was Cindy. She said because Cindy, she could salsa. She could do the Broadway stuff. Don said she was third. And then she said like Maxine was the one who didn't have rhythm. She was the one where they would have to go and like but you know rehearse multiple times. That's what artist development is for, is for. That they help. They teach you to dance. They teach you that like all that happens. In, yeah, but then if you're a natural and so, you're yeah, good at it, prob- it makes everybody look better, a, right? Yeah. Okay. So she had a leg up on them. It, yes, I get that. But what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is. <laughs> The byproduct of this group was was the vision of other people. So even if the girls weren't in the group, 
whoever made the group, it would have still been the same presentation. It would have been the same black dresses, the same songs, the same. It would have been also. I don't agree with that. It's not their vision. It's not their vision. Now that were they the bet were they the best member uh, uh best uh people chosen obviously because they made it to the beginning. What I'm saying is th- this the group the invo is as a group is not their vision. It's it's Tommy and Denny's vision. This is a so so whoever was in it it would have been the same presentation regardless of who was interchangeable in any way. So what I'm saying I just feel like invo would have still have been successful whether Terry was in it or not. But her being in it it elevated them. Um, as a quartet, I don't know that's that that's true. And, and 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 I said what I said, and I ain't changing on it. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I just don't know necessarily know <laughs> if I agree with that. Just because, like, we are you're already getting into they wanted a um a trio. It became four because Terry was so good. And Don was so good, and all four of them were good. In Vogue, success <laughs> was undoubtedly a product of great songs and the unity. <laughs> Why? Why is this such a messy episode? What is happening? JP, <laughs> what is happening? In Vogue, success was undoubtedly a product of great songs and the unique blend of talent and personalities that each member brought to the group. I cannot. After years of performing together, the group took a hiatus, which saw Terry try her hand at a solo career. In 1995, during En Vogue's two-year hiatus, Terry took the opportunity to explore her solo career with the release of her album Southern Gal. Produced by En Vogue's own Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy, as well as Something for the People, the album showcased a slightly different sound than what fans were used to from En Vogue, leaning more towards adult contemporary influences. While the album... (laughs) While the album didn't perform as well as Terry and her record label had hoped it would, it did spawn two R&B top 40 hit singles, Wherever You Are and What Did I Do To You, both of which had music videos and remixes. However, critics were somewhat mixed in their reception of the album, with some finding it lacking in strong, strong songs, despite Terry's strong performance. So given that Southern Gal was Terry's first solo album while En Vogue was on hiatus, do you think that she was trying to establish herself as a solo artist or was it more of an opportunity to explore a different sound and style of music? I don't understand the question. I understand the question. I think she was trying to pay her mortgage. I agree. I mean, why why would you do a why would you do a solo album if you don't want to establish yourself as a I solo mean artist? Cindy was pregnant and couldn't do nothing else, so you know. Yeah, the reason why Don signed her um, solo recording contract first and tried to do an album, which, you know, probably, you know, ended up like how her book is going to end up um, is because she said like she had a mortgage. And so she went to Sylvia. She really didn't want to be solo, but she did it because if you're not working, like, how do you pay your bills? How do you pay your rent? So that's why she went to the studio. And I'm assuming that's the same for Terry. But you know what I think is unfortunate, though, like that you're signed to a record label, you've had success, you've proven yourselves, one of the members is down, everyone is still on board to record an- another album or whatever, and it's like, you can't make sure that your your people are straight, you know, during that interim time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't give them their advance. What do you mean? 
like you can't give them their advance early or you know like because usually you get an advance like i guess when you get ready to record the album but you could have gave it to them a little earlier or something so just so that, okay but who's going to give it see this is the thing people don't get just, the structure of it who they are in renegotiations all right no let, no because i have to say this be, no 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 no, no wait, 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 let me just say this they're in renegotiation so a lot of you have to remember that so they're they're out of their deal with too tough enough they're renegotiating with um i guess what would become electra okay so that's the reason why a lot of things can happen the way you would think oh it should have just been this because they're in renegotiations don said she broke the strike line um because she needed you know money basically so that's what it was so maybe if they weren't in renegotiations it would happen like that but they were in renegotiations do not forget during this time and vogue is still in renegotiations as a group no i get that but what i'm saying is i guess i don't know i've just heard a lot of different stories of of people who have like gotten their labels to front them money or whatever you know just in the interim you know in between albums or you know they're strapped for cash you know i just i would just i feel like it's just it's it's weird to me that it's like okay i'm gonna give you money to record a solo album versus like i really i wouldn't want if i were like the head of the label i wouldn't want any of my group to go solo right after their you know their second album i don't know it just seems like that that was just a lot (laughs) <laughs> well, so there is this, uh, there is this thing, there is this thing like with actors. So like an actor, yeah, they, they have like holding deals with you know a studio. Whereas like let's say like an actor shot a pilot, it didn't get greenlit, but the studio, but the studio, they love that actor so much. It's like, well, we love you. You're so talented. Right. So we, we don't want you to go you. to any other show. We want to. So if something, yeah. So it's like, so we'll give you. And I think holding deals are usually. Like around like $65,000. So it's kind of like, we'll pay you this much money to guarantee that you won't go to any other studio and get on any other show and we'll, and we'll do our due diligence to find you a role on one of our right. shows so you can stay with our network. So I guess that's kind of like, that would make sense for like, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you, you're signed to our label, you know, so may, I guess it's kind of like, you know, instead of the only right. income for an artist being what they make on an album, like maybe there's like, maybe there's like, like a small, a small income for them like in on hiatus or like when they're not performing to say hey because you're an artist and we know that you need to make a livelihood and we know how much we're paying you (laughs) we're gonna give you like you know like a stipend you know a monthly stipend or or just like something like that to kind of hold them over you know because it that is true it's like that makes a lot of sense especially these these uh record labels like they're they're worth so much money like why not you know be like well you're, right. you're like you're our and employee also, I think giving one or two girls a solo deal and you have four members that just creates division you know what i mean like I don't, from a business standpoint i just don't it just doesn't seem smart to me because you mm-hmm. have a group that's already fragile because we just know how groups are in general just because of history as it was like okay i'm gonna give you a solo deal okay y'all are cindy's pregnant i'm gonna give you one i'm gonna give you one then you got another a uh, one member who's pregnant. So, I mean, I guess she's okay because she's married. Then you got that other member who's just kind of twiddling her thumbs. Like, well, damn, do I need to go braid hair? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, to me, it's just as a business model, I just find that to be a very interesting choice. Even though I know they're re- renegotiating. But, you know, just a, just an observation. Right. Um, but do you guys agree with critics' assessment of Southern Gal? Or do you think that there were standout tracks on the album that deserved more attention? I agree with the assessment of the critics. I do too. 
I listened to the album. I listened to the album today at the gym, and I was just so bored. I mean, I think I was so bored. I'm and I. I'm sorry, Terry. I love you so much, but that album it was it was so boring. I, you know, I still have this album, by the way. So you know, for all those who think I'm a hater, I still own this CD. To this day, I actually bought it. And I mean, I think I can say, you know, sometimes when you listen to albums, you think, oh, why didn't they release the right singles? I mean, they picked the best two choices that they had. So I will applaud the powers that be for making the best two choices that they had. What producers or collaborators do you think could have taken Southern Gal to the next level and created a truly standout record? What style or direction do you think should have explored more? Should have been explored more? <coughs> I will say this: I looked up because something I came out in nineteen ninety five, and I looked up a lot of the number ones that were in that in that uh, year in uh, Fantasy, Mariah Carey song, Unbreak My Heart, um, Boys to Men, One Sweet Day. Like you know, right? She did. She, yeah. Cause when I think about it, I'm like, dang, like I could I could hear Terry singing "I Break My Heart," you know. So like, why didn't she get a, a song from Diane Warren or Dallas Austin or Babyface? Like, you know, I it, it was it, especially based off like what was like popular at that time. This this al- this album was was not in line with anything that was like popping at that time. I think it was budget and I'll say that because it was like, um, you know, like I said, there was another member, I forget her name, but she also, you know, signed a solo deal and for whatever reason she couldn't get it finished. But Tommy and Denny, um, I'll just like make an analogy. Like I remember one time, like my big, 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 big boss, she got an award from the board of supervisors. And I just remember Mark Willie Thomas, who if you know LA politics, you know, um, he's indicted and he's in trouble like Trump, but he was like, you did it on time and under budget on time and under budget. Tommy and Denny, they're going to do it on time and under budget. I feel so. I think of course the relationship, personal, personal relationships are always going to play into it, but she wanted to make sure she got that album done and she got it done cheaply. So some of that advance, you know, she could splurge on decorating her house or whatever she wanted to do. But I would have liked, Oh, go ahead, Josh. No, I don't think any, if, if in Vogue wasn't going to get other producers, certainly Terry wasn't. So yeah, I didn't see that happening. Like, it's something for the people. They're like um, their protege. So I still consider them Tommy and Denny. And it's funny because my friend Shakura, um, I think her dad is Doc Holliday, who wrote I Don't Want to Wait Till Tomorrow for Terry, which I actually think is probably one of the better songs just because it has like the female vocalist instead of that man's voice. Because the man was the one who ruined a lot of the songs for me. Not that they were great, but I just didn't like the mix of his voice. But um, to think that they came out in, I think, 1997 with My Love is the Shh and how that song just bumped. I know it had a sample, but that song bumped. Like, why can't they give her a song like that? Like, why did they give her, like, everything was just kind of, just kind of bled together on that album, which is very, you know. I always wonder, what is the mental thought when you record an album like this? Like, do you think, like, this is going to really knock their socks off? Like, I, I just wonder what was the ex, what was her expectation? Like, she's recorded it. Did she think she's going to have in vogue type of success or 
did she think this might not? She said that she wanted to tour. She, I, I read in an article where she was just like, I hope this album is successful enough that I get to tour. Um, to answer the question, like what producers could have taken it to another level? Um, like Champ said, Fantasy. So who's that? Puff Daddy, who's probably very expensive. I will say that. Or, but maybe not, though. He was so up and coming. I would have loved like for her to work with Faith. I don't know if Faith is a, um, a producer, but she's a collaborator. She's a great writer. I would have liked, you know... Yo, Waterfalls, that's Organized Noise, was popular Organized at that time, Noise. Too. They did Don't like Let said, Go. Baby Face, Daryl Simmons, yeah. Jimmy and Terry. Uh, and mm-hmm. even like the whole thing is Southern Gal. Like that's supposed to be a concept. Like why didn't she work with anybody from the South? Like I don't know if Angie Stone was like popping as a writer yet. But but maybe she was. I think Angie Stone was always a writer. Like why didn't you get any Southern people? Like I know like Houston has. Um, like I wouldn't want like a hip hop album. But like, um, like if you had like one kind of chopped and screwed song, I think. I don't know when that became popular in Houston, but like Houston has its own style. Like you wanted to kind of do country with that like fake country song at the end. Like why not work with a real country producer? Why not work with Mutt Lang or T-Bone Burnett or something just to break up the monotony? So there's a, I like, there was like Southern gal, but no Southern producers. No, that was weird. But Terry's commitment to her music career has been constant throughout her life. Her unwavering dedication and passion for music have made her a constant source of inspiration for many fans, and her legacy has only continued to grow over time. However, there's more to Terry than just her music. She's a private person who keeps much of her personal life out of the public eye. Despite this, Terry's personal life reveals that she's more than just a talented musician. She's known to be a devoted sister, a loyal friend, and has an interest in crafting as well. So while Terry is widely recognized for her talent as a singer and performer, her personal life and legacy are equally compelling. From her upbringing in Texas to her experiences as as a member of one of the most successful female groups in in music history, Terry's life story is one of resilience, determination, and passion. As we continue to dive into the personal life and legacy of Miss Ellis, we uncover a a multifaceted woman with many passions and pursuits outside of her successful music career. It's impossible not to mention that close friendships have helped shape Terry's journey. One of the most notable and and enduring relationships in Terry's life is her friendship with actress and activist Holly Robertson Pete. Their bond extends back decades and has been a constant source of support and inspiration for both women. Let's take a closer look at how their friendship first formed and what it means to Terry today. Aside from Terry's successful music career, she's also known for her close friendships within the entertainment industry. One of her closest friends is the aforementioned Holly Robinson Pete. Their two names are maybe not immediately ones you'd associate with each other, but these two women have been the closest of friends for over 25 years. The two first met in 1992 when they were both at the height of their careers. Terry and her fellow band members were enjoying the tremendous success of their album of Monkey Divas, while Holly was captivating audiences with her performance on ABC's Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Their bond began when En Vogue recorded the theme song for the popular TV show Hanging with Mr. Cooper, in which Holly starred. After the recording session, the group and Holly went out for dinner, and Terry and Holly hit it off immediately. Since that fateful, fateful night, since that fateful night, the two have been inseparable, and their friendship has grown stronger over time. In fact, Terry was a bridesmaid in Holly's wedding, and the members of En Vogue have often remarked on how much Terry and Holly favor each other in the way of looks further cementing their sisterly bond. 
Despite their different career paths, Ellis and Robinson Pete quickly hit it off and became close friends. They bonded over their shared love of music and entertainment and have remained steadfast friends. Even as they both achieved great success in their respective fields, they've celebrated each other's milestones from Ellis's Grammy nominations to Robinson Pete's successful acting career and motherhood and have also been there for each other through personal challenges. In 2017, Holly wrote a heartfelt tribute to Terry on Instagram, thanking her for being a constant source of support and inspiration. You are an amazing friend, sister, and artist, she wrote. I love you and am grateful for you. Ellis and Robinson Pete's friendship serves as a reminder of the importance of having strong, supportive relationships. Despite the competitive nature of the entertainment industry, they've managed to maintain a deep bond that has lasted for decades. Their friendship is a testament to the power of sisterhood and the importance of lifting each other up, both personally and professionally. In addition to friendship with Holly, with Holly Robinson Pete, uh, Terry has been romantically linked to several notable musicians over the years. One of those relationships was the singer Johnny Gill in the early 1990s. The couple kept their relationship mostly private, but it was widely rumored among fans and in the media. Despite what? their chemistry, I never heard that. <laughs> despite their chemistry, the relationship didn't last long, and the two eventually no went duets? their separate ways. However, what? their brief romance remains a topic of fascination for fans of both Ellis and Gill. <laughs> No! That must have been a platonic relationship, but getting back into the outline. Most of his own. Wait, is is that a thing? That's a that's that's a allegedly. I I mean, allegedly, allegedly. hypothetically. Oh, I I, I guess it would have been great to hear Terry and Johnny like do a duet because they're both they both have powerful voices. That would have been pretty cool. Only yes, they do have very powerful voices. One of Terry's most high-profile relationships was with singer Eric Benet. The couple dated in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and were often seen together at events and award shows. Although their relationship eventually ended, Terry has remained a prominent figure in the entertainment industry. Oh, is that why we've never seen In Vogue and New Edition tour together? Hmm. You know what? That's a good question. I've seen, but I've seen, I think I saw a picture of them, of them with Johnny Gill, Terry, Cindy Rona, of course, and Johnny Gill. I have to find it because there was that singer. What was that singer's name? There, it was a picture with him and a lady singer. And it was fairly recently, not recent recently, but like within the last couple of years or so. So they, it's not like they have bad blood or anything, but I was aware of her, the relationship with Eric Benet. He talked about it. He denied it. He denied his relationship with Holly Berry as well in the same like sentence because he said he was linked to Terry Ellis. He's been linked to Holly Berry. And of course, he did end up marrying Holly Berry. And um, she ended up winning the Oscar for that role. And then she accused him of being a sex addict. And then they broke up. And now he's with Prentice ex. So you just see how people kind of just, you know, in the entertainment industry, they just kind of recycle, you know. Um, they all just kind of get it in. Um, so, but yeah, I was aware of it. I would have loved to see a duet with Terry and Eric, too. Because I, Eric Benet, can sing. I think that would have that sounded better than a duet with Agreed. Johnny. Agreed. Agreed. She could have yeah. brought her Natalie Cole influence out in that song, William. Because um, I've seen Eric Benet. <laughs> Wait, no, that wasn't <laughs> I promise I <laughs> Yes, it was. <laughs> I promise I was not shade. <laughs> but I realized it can be read that way after I said it. And I was like, oh, wait, that's not how I mean it. But <laughs> dang it. <laughs> Eric Benet can sing. I've seen him in concert with Tony Braxton at SWV. He has a great voice. I'm a fan of him. 
but it, it would have been great to like see like you you know a lot of a lot of artists couples they end up doing songs together or at least they plan it so you know what if it would have been Terry who sung the song with Tamia? I mean, who sung Spend My Life with You? Wouldn't I wonder how that would have The wedding like, song of all wedding songs. Uh, you know. I could see that's the kind that's the kind of lane that I wish she would have taken. Yes. Like Tamia's early stuff sounds like what t- what yes. Terry Can you imagine uh, so hearing Tell us singing Stranger in my Terry house? singing it? Well, not there. Before then, what was wrong with Stranger no, in My House? Like, what, what you mean, Josh? No, I think it's a great song. I just don't think that I, that song, not so much. But like, even thinking about like the Quincy Jones, how she was introduced, the you put him over my heart, like I, that <laughs> oh, kind I of vibe would have been yeah, sure. terrible. That, that's a, that's a great uh, R and B song for sure. Well, in addition to her friendships, Terry has also explored her entrepreneurial side with her venture into creating her perfume, Southern Exposure. That is that is a good name. Kind actually. of a great it name. It really is. I'm just gonna say that that's a great name. Um, and when she's not making music or business moves, Terry channels her creativity into her passion for crafting, finding solace and joy in making beautiful things by hand. All these aspects of Terry's personal life contribute to making her the multifaceted and fascinating artist that she is today. Terry revealed that Southern Exposure began as a promotional item to support her album. Initially, it was an oil with a fragrance she created herself. And when the perfume developed a buzz, she realized she had a business in the making. She collaborated with chemist Howard Kennedy, who added ingredients in a chemical formulation. And the scent ended up in uh, the scent ended up including global ingredients like Italian lemon, French rose and East Indian sandalwood. Southern Exposure was available for purchase at Nordstrom Boutiques and on Terry's official website, southerngal.com moreover ellis had plans to expand her product line and create her own brand in an interview with mtv radio she revealed i'm currently working on an extension line that includes bath oils bath gels candles and even a book book. everything i want everything to reflect my personal taste and style and i won't promote anything that doesn't truly represent me the southern gal did any of you gentlemen purchase Terry's Southern Exposure for your grandmas, aunties, mommies, maybe? Or, or well, yourself? I told you the story. Everyone knows my story. Right? She was promoting it out of Nordstrom's. Um, I went. I walked right up. My mom. Um, my mom took me and... Um, she had to buy <laughs> she had to buy the fragrance. I don't know if she had to buy the body cream, but she bought the fragrance and the body cream, um, so that exposure and um for me to take a picture with Terry and I got to talk with Terry and Terry gave me Southern Gal, the CD, which is how I got the CD because I didn't buy it when it came out. So shout out to JP for supporting Terry. A real you know, thing. Very big of you. <laughs> but I have something that I don't feel like a lot of fans have, and that's that I met her buying Southern Exposure. Um, but like, I, like it is true though. Like I said, there was not a line or anything. So at that point, it just became very kind of apparent that I didn't realize at the time I was so euphoric, you know, I was so happy. But I, you know, I didn't realize at the time that that kind of meant that Invoke Star had really, 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 really fallen. This is after EV three before Masterpiece Theater. And, um, yeah, that, uh, that's my story. So I did have it. I remember how it smells too, you know, it, it wasn't a very sweet smell. It, um, it, my mom was, is a Chanel number five type of girl. So I'm used to that. Like Southern Exposure had more of a kind of, like you said, there was, um, 
ass um lemon or something so it kind of had that kind of smell like kind of more I don't want to say acidic but that's kind of the adjective I'm gonna have to end on because that's what it kind of reminded me of yeah I'm trying to think of what do you what do you call that smell it's like like floral like floral because you said it wasn't said, floral to me no because I said lemon and french rose and sandalwood so I'm like that's that sounds real earthy to me but I'm not a perfume connoisseur so I don't know which doesn't really match the bottle or like the no. packaging. So like I'm looking at the packaging and I'm like, oh, this this would have been like a sweet yeah, it reminds me like strawberry lemonade or, like or something. A... The packaging. <laughs> it was it wasn't it right. wasn't sweet to me. Like that's not how I remember it smelling. Well, what do you guys what do you guys think of like her developing a perfume versus like the you know rather than like um, partnering with a brand or marketing an existing product? What do you think of that? I was this like was this before like were celebrities doing fragrances at the time yeah Elizabeth Taylor with White Diamonds yeah but it wasn't like musicians and like singers were like you know the way that like a lot of now. Like Britney Spears came out with her 5 million perfumes yeah. and Beyonce had Heat and all these other that's a good question things. like did Mariah Carey or like Whitney no. or Tony like they didn't have any Celine Dion nobody I want to say that she beat Patti the- LaBelle had a perfume Right, well, and we don't remember it. So I'm saying she kind of beat the um, kind of the market. It wasn't like a big thing. Like, of course, we can't say she was the first musician to ever do do that. But I feel like she beat the market um, or she kind of preceded it becoming like this huge market. I remember her. Um, I remember the website. I don't know if you guys remember the website, but I remember, um, you know, the Tony Braxton, when she sang back up for Tony Braxton during that time, Tony Braxton talking about it. I remember her going on Lisa. Do you remember Lisa, the talk show host, Lisa, Lisa Gibbons, I think it was, I, she promoted it on there. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis was one of the guests. Um, so they were both on the show at the same time and Terry was promoting Southern Girl. So I like, I'm never going to knock the entrepreneur hustle. Like if you want to do it on your own, that's great. I, I most I'm I don't like a risk. So I would be the one who would rather sign with like you know um, S. De Lauder or something and just get my money and just be the face of it. Um, but if you want to do it that way, like I, you have my respect. If y'all want to see something funny, I love I love I love the Wayback Machine. I don't know if you've ever used it to go look at old websites that don't exist anymore. But um, if you go to the it's uh, wayback.machine.com, and you can type in Southern Gal and go look at what the website looked like in 1998. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I put the link in the Zoom chat. Thank you, Josh. See, Josh is the things. best. He's my favorite co host. He never, you know, is messy. He's just <laughs> always helping us all out. Hmm. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I mean, this. I mean, the thing with like, because this is the fact that she, it was her own fragrance. Like, you know, I'm doing that from the ground up is like a lot of work. So it's like having to be, you know, trying to be a solo artist or like be a member of a, of a popular girl group and touring that that's a lot to have to juggle when trying to to jumpstart an entire, you know, beauty brand. It's essentially, you know, now, now I would be here for, well, I, I guess I'll wait for this opinion after we go through the next segment. Cause I ha- actually have like a, a whole little, like, you know, fantasy. But for her. I want to, um, Ooh, I like her, a web- fantasy. her website says, I'm not just another member of in Vogue. I'm a woman who has great appreciation for the beauty found in my surroundings. The scent reflects, oh, it, it moved too fast, but that was nice. I was into that. I wanted to read it. Oh, I love the way you read it. So I didn't know you could go that fast, JP. I like that. That <laughs> you know, 
Well. You should always read it. <laughs> what? Oh no! Although Southern Exposure wasn't the commercial success that Terry had hoped for, it was clear that her passion for creating and experimenting with scents was ju- was just getting started. In fact, Terry has long been known for her love of crafting and creating things with her hands. Terry is passionate about arts and crafts, and is, it's a hobby that she takes seriously. On her Instagram page, she frequently posts about her latest crafting project, showing off her impressive skills with various materials and techniques. Her love for crafting is also apparent in her choice of gifts, as she often creates handmade items for her friends and loved ones. Her best friend Holly has shared photos of Ellis crafting on social media, demonstrating how much joy she derives from the activity. It's clear that for Ellis, crafting is not just a pastime, but a source of fulfillment and creativity. Terry's love for crafting has long been a passion of hers and is often described as a way for her to unwind and relax. She's even mentioned that she would love to open her crafting studio someday. Oh, that would be so cool for her. So I will, I guess I have a comment, right? Which which kind of goes hand in hand with the question about what do we think about, you know, her passion for crafting and stuff like that. You know, the ladies can't tour forever. And I do feel like I've always been an advocate for, like, who are they outside of the group as individuals? And so I would say I would be here for, like, Terry creating her own, like, you know, little empire with, with all this stuff, you know, like cra- her crafts, like her... You know, her love of like beauty and stuff like that. Like, why isn't, why isn't Terry on HGTV hosting a show or something like that? You know what I mean? Or, um, or like why he, she isn't creating a line. Like, you know how like Michelle Williams has her betting, uh, her betting line in Beth, Bath Beyond. Like, why can't, why Terry could like create, like she can design handcrafted pillows. You know, she can come with another fragrance or, you know, like I, I, I could see her in that space. Like it, if, uh, if freaking Wendy and 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 uh, Karen Huger can have a three wick candle, why can't Terry? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I could see that see that for her because I, I that I feel I could see that being a space she can occupy. You know, as far as like Terry Ellis being her own businesswoman with her own thing outside of Vogue. I would be here for that. You know, I would assume she's busy. I mean, they always singing that somewhere. So I mean. But there, but there comes a time where it's like, you know, you'll have to explore that part of life, you know? So when that happens, like, what do you have for yourself? Yeah, and then management is what I'm saying. Like, you, like, if you're just the face of something, like, you can still be on the road and just do a photo shoot and do a couple appearances on um, Sherry and Jennifer and Tamron and all those other shows. Like, it doesn't have to take you off the road if you have, you know, good representation. Because I didn't even know Michelle had... Um, anything at Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm not like a, you know, I'm more of a, you know, a sex with oh, Avenue yeah, type of guy. So, uh, and I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm just saying, I, I didn't know. <laughs> it, it's called it's called Believe Home. Okay. Oh, the home. Oh, I could see her. And I could see I her. Agree. I agree. Like I could see that. her as a face that would be, you know, memorable for people. Because they always have like, just people who were like celebrities that were like not really like A list celebrities, but like B minus and C plus. Like I think she would, I think she would do well selling like you know knickknacks and just yes, jewelry and clothing and, clothing yeah, she, and, and furniture and she shows like, up on the home would, shopping network. I would be here, okay, but I would be, I would be here for that. You know, like 
um, her leaning into into that. Like I even see like like uh, interior bedding in her. Like in I can see all that because she's a she's a southern gal. You know, southern people are known for like you know uh, uh, having a specific style with how they decorate their homes and their bedrooms and you know all the kind of stuff. Like I can see that. You know, even if she's like developing like like. Um, Kind of how uh, Tabitha Brown has, like Tabitha Brown, she has her her vegan food line at Target. She also has her 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 clothing line at Target, and then she has like a line of like uh, home decor stuff as well. Like I can see that for Terry. Why not? And, and call it Terry Ellis. Period. That that, that, that is a great name for like a boutique. Terry, call me. Call me. <laughs> that's a that's a great name for like like a boutique store. Like imagine you're walking down Melrose and you walk into a store called Terry Ellis and they're selling like lamps and I think bedding she still and, use and Southern Gals and shit like that. I hope she's still, hope Southern still owns be the like, trademark can, too. Can, Southern Gal and Southern Exposure. Those are both you know. Yeah, but I feel like Southern Gal is it's so uh, niche. Mm. But like Terry Ellis, it just it just sounds so international. You know what I mean? It does. It just it sound it sounds international. It's like Terry Perry Ellis, Ellis and Terry st- Ellis. Just- <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking. I was like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. It's only because of Perry Ellis. Right? <laughs> what about Terry Lynn? <laughs> Terry Lynn. Right. No, she needs to call that shit Southern Gal. <laughs> Southern Gal by Terry Ellis. I think southern 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 exposure is a little bit classier to me. I don't know. Southern exposure could be a whole brand for Terry Ellis and I. And I, I, I she should manifest that. Well, let's manifest it, um, and also let's manifest her extension beyond music because she's a role model for young women in the industry. As one of the most successful female groups of all time, she has demonstrated the power of collaboration and teamwork throughout her career. Terry has been an active supporter of various causes, including cardiovascular health and addressing systemic racial injustices faced by Black Americans using her platform as a prominent musician. She's worked to raise awareness and provide support for those in need. As a solo artist, Terry continues to push boundaries and explore new sounds, cementing her place as a legend in the music industry. Her passion for crafting and entrepreneurship has also inspired many fans to pursue their own creative endeavors. Overall, Terry's legacy is one of the musical is one of musical excellence, empowerment, and creativity. So there you have it, folks. We've taken a deep dive into the life and career of the talented Terry Ellis. From her humble beginnings in Texas to her rise to fame with In Vogue, we've explored her unique talents, musical contributions, and impact on the music industry. Through it all, we've seen Terry's resilience, determination, and dedication to her craft. With her powerful voice, lively stage presence, and passion for crafting, Terry continues to inspire fans to this day. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and have gained a newfound appreciation for the life and career of Miss Terry Lynn Ellis. And now it's time for the submitted letters. The first letter is from Romello. Hey, y'all. I wanted to offer some commentary regarding episode five, Burning Questions. I would love to see an EV3 lineup with Don, Maxine, and Rona. I know Don has said that one of the reasons why she le- why she felt Rona never fit into In Vogue was because she doesn't blend well with Cindy and Terry. Maybe it could blend, but with both Don and Maxine instead? 
Plus, compared to both Cindy and Terry, Don, Maxine, and Rona are more receptive and open to experimentation, aesthetics, production, choreo, venues, etc. Cindy and Terry always did just give eye candy to me anyway. I know that's right. Could you oh imagine? Oh my God. Could you, imagine, could you imagine it though? Don pretty much carried in voc- <laughs> vocals wise until 97. Oh. That combined with Romello. That combined with Maxine Stephanie Mills esque voice and Rona's Whitney esque Whitney Houston esque voice, powerful. Romello, we agree. Our next letter is going to be real. No, we do not. No, 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 if you, if we all agree, like, what do you mean? We do not all agree, and I want to put it on the record first. I don't of all, agree like, with that, and it's not. It's about me. I'm. I feel like I'm objective. I feel like I'm e- extremely objective, and I would just say, like, I've gone on record saying my my favorite original member is Cindy. I like her voice the best. But if you listen to any tour. I don't know if the listeners have yet had a chance to listen to the Funky Divas tour, but the Born to Sing tour is available. The Never Let Me Go tour is available. And if you just go objectively by the applause on meter, remember the applause on meter from like the shows in the 90s where if somebody, you know, there was a contest and somebody won by applause, they would have the applause on meter. Like Terry always got the most applause. Like Don't Go was like the standout in all three of those tours. Um, hold on um, the Who's Loving You intro. That's the uh, crowd pleaser that gets the audience clapping. So what do you mean? She carried them. And even if, I'm not saying Don wasn't a good singer. I'm not saying any of them are not good singers. But when you use words like carried, that mean, that's like Coco and SWV. That's now, not in vogue. Like, no one was too carried. Much, too much dip on the chip. No, ma'am. Absolutely not. No, that's what it said. It's in all caps. It says she carried in vogue. That's yeah, a that big means statement. Like, that's a huge statement. That's like yeah. the other, like the. Well, I think when we you think about the big singles and the important songs. I mean, we know who sings though. I don't know. We can go on, but for he hours. said vocally. He said he carried EV vocals wise. Well, if she's if she's your leading, favorite, your favorite JP, your favorite song is led by yes, Maxine. of course. Give it up, turn it loose. Oh yeah. We did, but we discussed this. We discussed this on a show where we talked about like how, uh, Funky, um, Born to Sing, a lot of the leads were Cindy and Terry heavy. And then on Funky Divas, a lot of the leads was Maxine and Dawn heavy. So I, I can, I can see how like sonically, like the sound evolved and Dawn and, and Maxine were favored, but, a lot of the leads, a lot of the people leading songs when we first were introduced to them was, was Terry and Cindy. So to say she carried them is kind of a stretch. It's a huge she stretch add, for Mello. They all add something. They all add something, but you know, but at the end of the day, I would be here for that, but I do feel like, um, I can, I understand, I can understand what's trying to be said when she says that, um, Rona doesn't blend with Cindy and Terry. And that's because we, we've discussed that, 
uh, Rona adds an, an, an edge, like a freshness, like a youthfulness to the group, you know, cause she's younger. She's a little bit more hip to like what's happening now. She dresses a little more trendy, you know, versus Terry and, and Cindy who are more conservative. So she does add that. I don't think that it, cause that, I don't think that it means that they don't blend well. Cause that's like seeing the Spice Girls saying like, well, they don't blend well. Well, they're not supposed to. They all have their own different looks. Right. You know? So I feel, and I feel like they, they lean into that. Um, but I would be here for, I, I wouldn't, I am kind of curious as to what a Dawn, Maxine, and Rona lineup would be. <laughs> that, that would be interesting. I just don't think they have the, the chemistry, the personality chemistry, the camaraderie that she has with Cindy and Terry, just like that clip from, um, that JP told us about on the Sherry show where Sherry was like, oh, you know, I would love to have all five of them Vogue. Like JP didn't mention that Sherry specifically said, oh, yeah, and I was on the show with J- um, I was on the Jamie Foxx show with Rona and like showed a picture of Rona by herself and was like, yeah, so that'll be great. And then Magazine, like when Frank posted it, he posted the whole clip. Like Magazine, for some reason, cut that part out. So it was just like oh, yeah, I didn't the see way- that part. I only saw the part where I didn't, I didn't know she said she mentioned Rona. I didn't see that. Yeah, she mentioned Rona, they show a, a picture of Rona by herself in this beautiful tan trench coat and she was like I was you know I was on the Jamie Foxx show with Rona so like when Magazine does stuff like that like that seems like like Donna Magazine would have an issue like now maybe if it was when they tried to do like had Magazine I mean had Rona never worked with Terry and um, Cindy maybe it wouldn't be such an issue but it seems like their whole thing is to kind of like discredit her um, and that's why Don was saying those things she wasn't saying it like oh she doesn't blend with them because she blends better with us Oh, it was. You must have didn't watch the interview when she was like, "Oh, she's too tall." And well, let me not say what I want to say. Oh, it was. It it wasn't just shade. It was. It was nastiness. So, like I'm saying, like they. Oh, from 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 Don. Don, Yeah, it wasn't like oh, you know, she just. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Sherry Shepard interview on her no, show. No, Sherry Shepard. Well, maybe that wasn't Shay, but I just find it strange that you would cut... Like, if somebody's talking about my group and they're talking about one of my group members and Sherry was like, oh, you know, I did Broadway with Cindy or I did this with... Like, why would you cut that part out? Like, that just was kind of like... If she's saying, uh, you know, one of somebody I was in a group with, I wouldn't have cut that part out. When she got to New Kids on the Block, that's when I would have, you know, did the little snip. But she snipped out the part about... Like, why would you do that? So, I don't... Chemistry because it got nothing to do with her. I don't think it was that deep. I mean, it's about involved. It's, it's about yeah, your group, I though. Mean, but that's not her group. <laughs> we'll see then. Then that that proves my point. Then if she feels that way, that's why they. I don't think they will work together chemistry wise. Romello, Romello. I usually. I, I I just you know Romello like. Uh, I don't know what you were doing with this letter, but it's just you know it's just not. Keep the letters coming, Romello. Well, it's not done. So Romello Romello continues and he says Shanice wasn't the only one considered as Max's replacement. Evidently, there were two others, Shantae Moore, especially being that her and Terry are good friends. Plus, they say in background for Beyonce's Fever Life performance on Jay Leno in September 2003. A month or two before the Night of Proms tour. Uh huh, uh huh, yeah, yeah. The other young lady was a girl named Kimberly, I believe. I can't find the article anywhere, but she backed out because of the stresses that came from a 9 11 attacks around that time. What do you guys say in response to his email? Well, into, in response to the second half of his email. <laughs> I mean, it didn't happen, so I'm just I'm fine with how everything ended up. That's what I'll say. I think the right person, who is the, the right queen, person? the right diva. I remember reading an article. If I find it, I'll share it with you. But she's not someone famous. She's um, 
she was a singer who they she's alleging that she was asked to join in Vogue and because of 9-11 she didn't end up joining so this was around I guess you know 2001 because that's when 9-11 was also this was when Maxine left around like the Masterpiece Theater era Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. they were a duo, and they were in that before, um, before, um, Amanda came in. Well, maybe I, I wouldn't have been around, I mean, because Amanda was still there. I mean, Miranda, or however you say her name, was still there in like 2002. So it probably was what's her name that ended up, you know, not whoever was the one who wasn't Rona, you know, that was who they were feeling for. So it was, so not Kimberly, then what's her name joined, then what's her name left. And then Rona came and made me happy. I would be here for, I, I would be interested in like Shantae Moore being an in Vogue replacement. I mean, cause that voice, the, the beauty, the voice, but why not be a new group then? Why not be like New Order or, you know, like, um, like who was it that said it? Well, it's funny because I saw Depeche Mode in concert and like the main writer left basically and the, and Martin Gore, you know, Martin Gore, he was like, well, we were kind of like, it's kind of like a different group, even though they didn't change the name, but New Order, um, was Joy Division. Joy Division singer died. So they became New Order. So like, if, if it's going to change, like, if you're going to bring a solo artist as big as Shantae Moore into the group who's had like solo success, why not just be a new group? Like that invoke at that point would have too much baggage to me. Well, Shantae Moore. Her song selection isn't always the best as well. So I know, I know. It's just sad. All these great singers, all these bad songs. I get that, but I enjoyed that Shantae just Shantae Moore album where she was singing Jermaine Dupri song. But that's off topic. But straight, straight up, up, yes, that was my that jam. video. They need to they need to remaster that video on YouTube because it's so blurry. It's so like out of focus. I need like a high def version of that video because I love. I I used to like put VHSs in the VCR and record videos so I can play them back later. And I used to play straight up over and over because I was like Shanti Moore, you better give it to me. She was giving it. Oh, that's that is that is my album. I be playing. I listen to that all the time. And didn't she say J Lo stole a song from her or something like that? Love don't well, come If you if you had my love was originally oh. no, she didn't steal anything. Dark Child and Lashawn Daniels rewrote the same song over, basically. Yeah, because Diddy Diddy wanted it for Jennifer Lopez. Okay, well, Romello, thank you for the letter. I totally disagree with most of it, um, but I still love you. Oh, well, now we're getting into the rare track of the day. As we wrap up this episode on Terry, we wanted to leave you with a rare gem from her solo career. Terry recorded the song Call On Me for the 2000 HBO film Disappearing Act soundtrack. The song was written and produced by Angie Stone and Marlon Cox and produced by Angie Stone and Butterfingers. No apologies are necessary. I should have known. Because you've been acting pretty shady lately. Like you want to be alone But sugar, let me tell you that I'm one step ahead of the game you play Game, recognize game In a crazy kind of way <laughs> the track showcases Terry's powerful vocal range And emotional depth Perfectly capturing the essence of the film's Themes of love and heartbreak Love that you express you may. I won't be asking for your time What did you guys think of Call On Me? 
I like the writing. The production is terrible. I wish they would have given it like a, you know, a more of a natural production, like with like real instruments. That that was given like Casey your keyboard and like. Aww. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, I actually really like the Disappearing Act soundtrack. There's a lot of good songs on there, and it doesn't get the love that I think a lot of other soundtracks do, but this one was kind of, like, forgettable for me. I think, like, it's nice to, like, Angie Stone writing on it, I can hear it, but the production, I agree, is, like, it's, like, hollow. There's, like, nothing to it. Yeah, like, if they had gave it more of the, if she had given it the natural production that she gave, like, D'Angelo during, like, Brown Sugar, like, you know, live Well, you know why she gave D'Angelo that good production? Well, <laughs> she should have got it going. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, the intro to the song alone was just like, that's it? And it was like eight measures, and I'm like, is that all you're giving me? And then it started off like, wow, that... It's pretty boring, but I mean, this was an HBO movie. It didn't go to theaters. I didn't like. I mean, Terry sounds amazing as always, but the Won't song was not. You know the song was extremely underwhelming. It was a very Angie sound. Like Angie, you can hear Angie in the background. It just sounds like something that she. I mean, because she was singing it, but it just sounds like a, you know, like an Angie sound album cut. Won't be pressing you no more. Go the ahead, crazy thing is, I ain't never heard an Angie song song with that type of production. Like her her production is always pretty soulful and you know lush oh yeah strings like no more rains in this yeah, cloud where the strings like, come in she said girl take this she said, ah! <laughs> <laughs> she said girl I'm tired take this D'Angelo is stressing me out all right, now it's time for our final thought of the episode. This is the part of the show where we leave you with a question, a quote, or an idea to reflect on. It's our hope that these final thoughts will inspire deeper contemplation. So let this nugget of wisdom percolate in your mind for a while. Today's final thought is, how would you feel if a member of En Vogue sang another member's part while the member whose part is being sang is at the same show and on stage with that person. Why would they do that? Well, the reason I am asking this question is because, like I said, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan, and there is a um, a song that Depeche Mode has called um, But Not Tonight, and the record is sung by Dave Gann, but on stage, I saw a performance of Martin Gore singing the song. And so just how we're talking about, you know, vocal decline and all this stuff, if someone physically, for whatever reason, just doesn't sound like they should sound or, you know, what, I mean, just how would you feel like, like if somebody, you know, might... Or would they be, are you saying they would be on the stage with with yeah. that person at the same time. Yeah, like oh, yeah. if somebody well, decided what, that... That's what New Edition does now for Bobby Brown songs. Destiny's Child does it too, like, you know, because a lot of the songs were very Beyonce heavy. So, you know, on their tours and when they do shows, like, 
they divide up the parts. Like when they did single ladies for the Super Bowl, like Kelly did a, a verse, Michelle did a verse, and then Beyonce ended it out. Or even when they do, um, they were, they, 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 they all took parts, but it usually, the original has Beyonce singing the all the lead, but they kind of divide them up. I'll be here for it just, just, just to kind of change it up. Or even if, even if instead of like doing like the lead by yourself, like why don't they all do it together in unison, like at a harmony part? Like that would be cool. You just kind of like make it different and fresh. Yeah, because it's it's different than just like so like like Destiny's Child doing Beyonce songs because like they were never on the Beyonce record. But like if we show up at an Invoke show and then suddenly somebody else is doing the intro to hold on and Terry's still on the stage, that would be odd. But if there's a reason for it, then there's a reason for it. Okay, well that's the final thought. Yeah, let it, let us know your thoughts in the, in the comments so we can hear what you guys think of that, please. Yes, let us know what you think. All right, friends, that is the end of another episode of Part of Us. Make sure that you stream Part of Us on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Come check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at InvoCraze and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Thank you to the co-hosts. And before we go, we got to remind our listeners to send us any of your in vogue video footage that you might have sitting on a tape or a DVD or a CD-ROM somewhere, and we will feature it <laughs> on our YouTube channel. And with that being said, we will see y'all next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders.